Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 25th of October 2015, entitled The Handwriting on the Wall, and the Bible reading is taken from Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 to 31. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word taken from Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which was Father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me The interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. The queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called. He will show you the the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. The king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, 
have been brought in before me, and they, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Oh, and thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the land sent from him, and his writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekal, Upharsin. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Peraz, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Father, we know that for many this is a familiar story that we have read in your word, bygone days. Lord, we pray that as we look here once again this evening, that during this time you could truly speak to our hearts. Show us that, Lord, which would be profitable to us at this time. Show us, Lord, that which would make a difference in our lives. And we'll truly give you the praise and the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there are a lot of things that we can see and learn, grasp from these words that we have read here in this one chapter of God's Word, we find that 
this king, Belshazzar, that he was a man that, and absolutely the description that we're given of him here, he was just a worldly man that uh, wanted to live it up and wanted to, to party his life away and do those things here. And of course, he was a prideful man. We find that that's exactly what he was doing, and he was actually making light of the things of God. You see, again, as I read this, God shows us these things. This is a, an account that was written somewhere around 560-some years before that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for us. And yet, as we look about us in society today, and we look at those that are sitting in power and authority around the world, Again, they sit in positions of pride. They forget who it is that actually puts men in those positions and is accountable or that they are accountable to. We find that certainly the kind of life that Belshazzar lives is one that would be familiar to many today. We find that God came to give this man a message. In this case, it was a message that was written by the hand of God himself. In our message this morning, we saw where that God had written a message to his people in stone and sent it by his messenger. Here he is writing this message. I mean, he can actually see the the finger as he writes the message upon the wall there in the palace. You know, he's sitting there and he's parting away all these things. He's sitting in the highest position of the land. He has all this wealth and riches. He's drinking it up, but he is mocking the things of God. He has them bring the vessels in that had been taken out of the temple of God. And he's using them as vessels for his drunken party that that he is having there. This hand comes and writes upon the wall. And, and of course, the king, he says, is frightened. I mean, he's so frightened that, you know, we get this expression. Several of the expressions that we use a lot of time come right from this passage in Scripture. I mean, his knees were knocking together. He was trembling so. The Bible describes it there. We find that also many times today when we talk about something that comes to pass on someone and it's something that they should have been pre-warned, that there was no reason that they shouldn't have known the danger that was there, we say the handwriting was upon the wall. And of course, this is the account where literally that handwriting was upon the wall. But you know, it's important. Here's this man in this position. And he's certainly not honoring God in any way. He's actually making light and mocking the things of God. And yet, when this writing comes, we find that he sends for his wisest people, those that should be able to tell him anything that's got all the the greatest knowledge of the land, and yet they come in. They cannot understand what has been written. You know, we find that in the New Testament, A similar thing is told to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For he hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You see, again, it's a point that we could labor. We find that we have before us just as surely as God wrote those words upon that wall. I hold before you today 
Words that were just as surely as God used his finger and wrote in those stones from Moses that we read about this morning, just as surely as the finger of God wrote upon this wall to this man that sat there as head of this kingdom, God has written the words that he's preserved for us that we have right here. This is just as much the writing of God as those that we've read about from Scripture today. Yet we find that as the world sets by, they make light. They mock the things of God. We find that in many of the learning centers of this world, that there are those that can read all of the words of this book, all these words that have been written, and yet just as these wise men of Babylon at that time, they do not understand anything that they are reading they try to read it and understand it with man's wisdom and with man's reasoning. But the spiritual things of God will never be understood by the natural man. The king's wife is called. The queen comes in. She sees how the king is so troubled in all of these things. She says to the king, says, there is one. There is one that he was an important man under your father when your father served as king. He's the one that should be able to tell you what this means. And, of course, they were speaking of God's man, the prophet Daniel. And so they called for Daniel to come in, and the Daniels, Daniel's made the same promises by the king that he has all of these others. If you can just tell me what this means, I'm going to clothe you in the finest robes. I'm going to give you this gold to hang around your neck. I'm going to make you the third most powerful man in all of this nation. I'm going to give you that position if you can just tell me what this is. You see, God had gotten the king's attention. But even when that attention was gotten, in all of his natural thoughts, in all of the natural thinking of the smartest and wisest people that he had around him, he yet could not understand the things of God. It took a man of God that was filled with the Spirit of God to be able to take those things and say, King, this is exactly what this means. Daniel was called. He was made all those promises. But if you notice, Daniel didn't interpret God's word for this king for what it would do for him. He said, King, you can give your gifts to somebody else. You can do all this for somebody else. I will tell you what God's message means. He wasn't doing it for the money. He wasn't doing it for what it could do for him. We find that Daniel gives him an interpretation. Daniel, because he had the Spirit of God on him, could understand what God had written. We find that this godless king, when he saw the hand of God, the hand of God was actually warning him of his own doom because of his sin. The handwriting was on the wall, but yet he could not grasp it, and understand it. Three Hebrew words. Mene, Tekal, Peraz. We find that, what was it? That God was trying to get the message across to this king here. Well, the word Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Daniel said, that's what it means. Literally, in the Hebrew, it meant to be numbered. You see, the truth is, is that the king's days were numbered. But in actual truth, all of our days are numbered. 
We all have a certain number of days. We don't know how many we've got. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are. We have a certain number, but we don't know what it was. But in this king's case, he was telling him, not only do you have a number of days, but he said, yours is clicking to the end. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Your number of days are up, king. You see, when that death call comes, there is absolutely nobody in the greatest power with all the wealth and position and riches of this world. God is the one that numbers the days. And this king was being so, hey, you may hold the greatest position down here and have all of these riches, but king, God's the one that numbers your days. Death waits for no man. When God calls us, that's it. We're warned. We're warned that each day that as we look around us, we see it. We can't, we can't turn on the radio. We can't turn the TV. We can't even go down the street very far. We see it all around us. Death is a reality. As a pastor, I've had to stand before many, many coffins that were laid out before that pulpit from tiny babies that had hardly even entered this world to those rich in years that had gone well, well into their years. I guess that ironically, <laughs> the oldest person that I ever spoke at their funeral was my own grandmother. She lived to be 100 years old. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good life down here, 100 years old. And yet, you know, I tried to stop and think, you know, wow. A whole century. I'm trying to grasp at this point because this was early in 2000. I'm saying from like 1900 to 2000, what has happened in this world? How has it changed? And yet in reality, a hundred years is nothing. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's here and it's gone. And none of us here this evening have clocked up a hundred yet, but we're clocking up more all the time. I don't see anybody close to 100 out there yet, but we do have several in our church that are. We have several of the ladies, especially that are in their 90s. God has blessed them richly. But what we have to realize is we look around young and old, our days are numbered. God is the one that has done that. He tells us time and again in Scripture, he says, it is appointed unto man once to die. Everyone has that appointment. It is appointed unto man once to die. He tells us that the wages of sin is death. James put it this way. He says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You say, preacher, why are you telling us something that we all know this evening? Because I want to tell you something. Even this preacher needs to remember, my days are numbered. I don't know how many more days that I have upon this earth. And I'm not trying to be scary or, or, or sickly or anything like that. I'm just saying all of us, our days are numbered. The most important thing that we must realize is that we only have a certain number of them. And we need to be ready when that end comes. King Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom 
and finished it. God is the one that gave you life. God is the one that set you up in the position that you are to rule over this kingdom. But guess what? It is that same God that now has finished it. Manet, Tekau, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. King, your days are numbered. And God says it's coming to an end. But as your life comes to an end, you're weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. The word literally in the Hebrew is to balance or or to be weighed. Now, he's not talking about here weighing up the good against the bad and all of this because I want to tell you something. When we get down to the end, uh, there's only one thing that will tip those scales in the right direction, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. All, everything else we can do, all the good we can do, everything that we can do in this world, nothing will bring those scales into our favor except the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll always be weighed the other way. We'll always be found wanting without him. You see, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. It's not only that our days are numbered. But at the end of those days, you see, not only does it say it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The judgment. We will all give an answer for ourselves. No man can give an answer for another. The judgment is not a pleasant thought for most people. But you know, it's an amazing thing as we, as we looked at our studies through Genesis and we saw where that judgment, the foundation was first laid. Judgment can be good or bad when something is judged. When God looked at his creation and he judged it, he said that everything was good. It was all good that God did. But here, the king says, judgment is something that you will face. Your days are numbered. Coming to an end. Your judgment, you'll face judgment and king You've been weighed in the balances, and you've been found wanting. May I say to you that anybody, when those days come to an end, they stand before God. Those same truths will be there without Jesus Christ. They will be found wanting. When judgment comes, there is no substitute at that point. You see, either you've already accepted the substitute, Jesus Christ, or when you stand there without him, there is no other substitute. There is absolutely no excuse that can be accepted. There is no plea that's left. Only the sentence. Judgment is one appointment that everyone will keep. The truth is, is that Every human being will be at one of those two great judgments. They'll either stand before the great white throne of judgment and all those that stand there, there's no excuse, there's no substitute because the only reason there is because they've already been found wanting. They don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they'll be at the judgment seat of Christ <laughs> where those sins have been covered as we talked about this morning. The weight, the scales will only be in their favor because Jesus Christ is on their side. You see, right now, just as the king here, the world maybe looks at the things of God, even at some of you when you claim to be a Christian. 
and they belittle you and they look down on you and they think that you have a, a lack of intelligence or that you need this, this cross to hang on or whatever. But let me tell you, there's coming a day when the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's coming a day. We don't say it with pride, but every sinner will envy you. They'll no longer be mocking you and making funny, fun of you. They will envy your position. So many. Have you ever done something in your life and you said, oh, if I'd only listened. If I'd only listened. Most of us have it sometime or another. We've heard something, but we just didn't listen. We didn't pay attention. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Revelation chapter 20 gives us a very, very vivid description. In Revelation chapter 20, Verse 11, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You say, preacher, why are you reminding us of that? Because, friends, I'm telling you, if by God's grace, because of the Spirit of God, because God allowed you to see and understand the message that he sent to you one day, then thank God you won't be at that judgment. But we need to be reminded as individuals and as a church, as I tried to press on this morning, the folks, all those others out there aren't so fortunate. And if we're going to be effective and if God is going to use us, may I remind us once again this evening, nothing is more important to our holy God that created us from nothing, that sustains us here. Nothing is more important to him than the salvation of our souls to be with him for eternity. The warning he gave to that king, he's given to all today. Just as surely Many will read it and make fun of it. Many will read it and maybe even tremble. Many will read it and not understand it. But God has given us understanding. All for that, we need to praise God, and we will praise God through eternity. We sang some of those great songs earlier in the sweet by and by. Praise God one day. We will all meet by that river. We will all be able to rejoice with our Lord throughout eternity. But may I say this evening that if there is one that doesn't, your days are numbered. It will come to an end. And without Jesus Christ, you will, without any shadow of a doubt, you will be found wanting. Death, judgment, and then hell. Perez, that's the third word, Perez. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means to split up, to divide. 
You see, after judgment, the sentence is passed. The king was warned that his days were numbered. It was coming to an end. Judgment was being passed on him, and he was found wanting. Now, he was going to be split up. He was going to be divided from that kingdom forever. You see, there's coming a great day of dividing, of splitting up. After the judgment, the sinner will be divided and split up. He'll be given to the devil and his angels, which is who he's chosen to be with down here. There's a lot of speculation about hell. There's an awful lot of people that try just not to even believe in it and think that it's there because it's a whole lot easier to do. You say, preacher, do you understand hell? I don't understand heaven or hell. God's given us some glimpses of both, and I've said many, many times before, I believe this with all my heart. We're going to be coming to these things early in the year as we come back to some of the fundamentals of the faith that we've got to stand for. Heaven and hell are real. They are literal places. And I know enough about them to know this. There is absolutely no doubt. <laughs> I want heaven. <laughs> it's far beyond anything that we can imagine on the good side, to be with God forever, to be no more sickness, to be no more sin, all of that to be gone and not have a part whatsoever in it. And I know that that place called hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, we're all eternal souls somewhere. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere with God, without sin, or we're going to be with Satan. We're all Sin is cast once and for all. And I do know this. I know that as I read through the scriptures, some say that some of these things aren't literal when they really have no reason to make those statements. But you know, I'll even give them this. I will say this. If they don't take those things as literal, it's just like many would say that the account of the rich man and Lazarus, that it's just a parable. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us it's a parable. So why would we choose to make something a parable that isn't one? But if it were, the, the, the end result is the same. Because I believe, as we read Scripture, that it is a literal, real story. But even if it weren't, what is God telling us? He's telling us something about something that is real that gives a very descriptive story of what it's like. You know, people don't like to think of, of, of the darkness and the fire, the trembling, the gnashing of teeth. They're not very nice things to think about. We don't like to think about Gehenna when, when Jesus himself went to compare hell to the known, to anything that we knew on earth. He picked the most God-awful place that there was outside of the walls of Jerusalem where the fires never went out, where literally... It was a cesspool. It was a trash. It was where it burned day and night, the stink that rose from it. That's what he chose to picture it because that was the worst thing that he could think of. So I'm telling you this. I don't even claim to know everything there is about it. But one of the reasons we have so much trouble understanding it is because we don't begin to understand and comprehend the awfulness of sin and its destruction and all that it's done to destroy God's creation. Everything that it does that is totally counter to God's holiness. We find that 
this king was warned. <laughs> Mene, Tikal, Perez. Death, judgment, and hell. Being separated from God forever and forever. There will be no escape. We will be split up and divided from God and all that is good and all that is right forever. We'll be forever divided from all those that are part of his kingdom. I just want to remind us this evening. I, you see, sometimes I wonder what it takes, even after all these years, to get the reality of God's message to you and I. The handwriting is on the wall. We have God's word. Every human being's days are numbered. That's something that matters in eternity because when that number comes up, when it is finished, there will be judgment. And if we're found in the scales wanting, which is exactly where we'll be without Jesus Christ, it means separation forever. Folks, that's a reality. You can try to understand more a lot of these things and there's nothing wrong. But I'm saying that is a simple truth of Scripture. It can be no other way. That's why that people try to somehow make this all so finished when this life ends. It stops at the grave. There's nothing more. We're not accountable for what we do here. We're not accountable for the lives that we live. But God teaches us something different. He breathed into man and man became a living soul. There's something besides this body that lives on and it lives on somewhere. We find that that's a truth that better sink into each and every one of us for our only hope. But not only that, I wish. We say sometimes, preacher, those aren't nice things to hear. I wish. I wish God could allow me to see it for what it's really like. I wish he could give me more of the compassion that Jesus Christ himself had. I wish he could help me to understand that my family and your family and my friends and those people that we see every day of our lives that we care about, that without God they have no hope. Their days are numbered and we don't know when it's coming to an end. And without Jesus Christ they will be found wanting and they will be separated and divided forever. Just like this king was warned. You see, I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> if that message really got home with me, I'd live my life differently. I think that something would be more important to me tomorrow. I think that, you know, we know it, and I'm not saying that we don't care, but it's not as real as it is to God. Let the message be real to us, folks. We have so much to praise and thank God for that he's given us the understanding He's allowed us to know the truth. The handwriting is on the wall. God has given it to us. The handwriting is right here in his word. But we not only need to heed it, we need to share that with others. We need to pray. We need to work like we've never worked before because I believe this also in closing. I don't believe that the days are just numbered for each and every one of us. The days aren't just numbered for our nations, this nation faced judgment. They were numbered. They were given an opportunity. When they put God first, 
When God got the majesty that he deserved, they thrived. When they turned their back on God, they were judged. They were overtaken by others. I believe that our lives depend on it. I believe our church depends on it. I believe our nation depends on it. But folks, I believe with all my heart, the days of this world are numbered. There aren't that many left. And there are so many that when it's finished, they'll be found wanting. They'll be separated forever. And there is no other hope. Can we understand that whatever else we do with our lives, the only hope they have is the truth, the writing of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's the only place that that true faith can come from is from God's word, God's spirit working in their lives. People can put it off another day, but there may not be another day for us, for our church, for our city, for our nation, for the world as a whole. All of our days are numbered. Let's not be found wanting. Let's make sure that we've got Jesus Christ, the only thing that will make the difference. Let's make sure that when it comes to the end, we're not one of those that is divided, split from all that is good and right, from our holy God, the creator of us all, for all of eternity. Father, Lord, I thank you this evening. Lord, we, we read of a man here, a king, a man of great power, in his numbered days. We read of a nation, Lord, that its days were numbered. And that nation came under judgment as a cause of that. Lord, we also read, Lord, that as we study this, we know that it's by the Spirit of God that man can know the truth. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us not just to know these things as facts. Help it, Lord, to change our lives, to change our perspective, to change what's important to us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be that light in this dark world. Help us tomorrow. When we see those humans facing us, working beside us, sitting beside us in school, living beside us in our neighborhoods, shopping beside us in the shops, Lord, help us when we see them. Help us to realize my days are numbered. Their days are numbered. Do they know the truth? Help us, Lord, to make the days that we have count. Help them to count for your glory. We'll give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.